Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome back, everybody. Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast, 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. Joined today by our publisher, Ronnie Sanders, and former Auburn D.C. Ellis Johnson on this week's edition of Coach's Corner. And last week we were talking, and Auburn still had not received its first SEC victory, but they get off the schneid a little bit on Saturday against Mississippi State. Ellis, I was curious how much of that game you were able to to watch, and I guess what were your uh, what were your impressions of what Auburn was able to do, kind of looking like a uh, – really looking like an efficient passing offense for the first time all season against a good opponent. Yeah, he took it right out of my mouth. I thought that was one of the more positive aspects of the game is that they were able to get some really good production out of Peyton Thorne. And, uh, I mean, his numbers weren't gaudy, but they're pretty doggone good when you're trying to coach a guy, sort of what I say you're managing and you're not turning him loose. You have to make sure he's doing the things that he can do. And, uh, if that's something that, you know, they've really kind of found the secret to, and it's going to get that much better each week going forward, I mean, they got a shot to win more than seven. I think they'll win seven even if they just handcuff him. But I, I thought that was one of the more uh, positive aspects. And uh, came out with a good quarterback rating. I really don't know what all those ratings, how exactly they do those. I mean, if you see 20 for 26, 230 yards, 3-0, three, three touchdowns, no interceptions. You'll take that from most quarterbacks in the game. What, what did you see the difference this week, in, other than rotating quarterbacks in and out? I mean, what, did, what did you notice? Yeah, and I did not get to watch it much live, but just looking back at it and reading the recap and saw a few highlights, they've been playing good, solid defense most of the year, and, and they've really had to lean on them at times. Even way back, I think one of the most important games they've had this year was the game out at Cal. Had to play real late. Cal was not a terrible team. Uh, you know, they went out and their defense just carried them through. And I think it was 14 to 10 or something. So they've played pretty good all year long with a lot of pressure on them. Kept beating the Georgia game reasonably close. Uh, but they've been having these terrible performances at quarterback. And even if you're not the 
productive at quarterback is sometimes the turnovers and, and the failure to make third down plays that'll just break you back. So now it's a combination. They're still playing good defense. They found a little bit of running game the other day. The running back had a good day also. And, and you know, we don't know how good State is, but if they had been good at anything this year, they've been pretty decent on defense. Zach does a good job as a coordinator and as head coach. You can kind of see that's what they lean on. So I think it's just a very good day and a really productive day. Uh, kind of a balanced game, if you will. They played better on offense. They got Peyton Thorne producing without any turnovers and making some plays. And the defense is holding up and still pretty stout. So I think they've got a chance that if that's something they've found and not something that just happened, they got a chance to finish pretty good. One of the most impressive things, I always look for explosive plays. I learned that from Coach Kroon. I think it's more important in the pros in college, but he convinced me, stop explosive plays and you won't get points. So I started charting it, and we, that for the last eight to ten years of my career, I, that's something we really put a lot of emphasis on, especially with the style of football that everybody's playing now. It might not have been that big a deal 30 years ago. But they had they had uh, was it five, five runs that I considered explosive, 124 total yards, and four explosive passes. Those passes were really early in the game. And then it didn't have any as, a, as the game wore on. They hardly had any. And I, to me, I go back and having coached against you several times. I think that goes to it's – it's an indication of him. He had something that, I, that Coach Spurry always had. He could figure out a way after studying opponents. He would get two or three big plays early in the game. He, you know, he set you up. He'd kind of make sure you did a formation or something with some movement or whatever to definitely – identify what you're playing on defense that down, and he had a play for it. Now, if you can get two or three explosive plays in the first quarter, that's a tremendous momentum builder for your offense. If you play on the road, sometimes they'll get the crowd out. Uh, but even, even playing at home as they were, it still probably gave that kid a lot of confidence and gave your offense a lot of confidence and set the tone for the rest of the day. They were pretty average, you know, second half on offense. Had a couple of big runs. But they'd already gotten done what they needed to get done. They had a lead on on Mississippi State and with their defense against Mississippi State. It was a good formula for a win. What, what do you see? You mentioned earlier you think Auburn can get seven, maybe even eight. I mean, you look, you got Vandy this weekend, Arkansas, New Mexico State, and then Alabama at home. Um, I mean, Auburn. Well, I, I, you know, they got to go two two road games in the SEC right there, and that's never easy. I don't care if it's Vanderbilt and Arkansas. But that's two of them. You know, it's Arkansas struggling this year, and and special offense. Uh, Travis is doing an excellent job with their defense, but they're just not scoring points. And I don't know what's happened with KJ. Of course, they fired the coordinator and scapegoated him. Who knows? I just don't know what's going on in a, in a building and a staff. But you look at that, you know, they got – they got three teams on that. I think you got to say they're favored to win. And they already got four wins, don't they? They do. You know, so that's seven. And I think if you started the season, so I believe we can win seven games, people would probably say you're probably right. And they know they're going to be about two or three of them. They're going to have to play well if they were going to get them. But that's about what the probably looked at the schedule and said that's what they're capable of winning. And I think the other thing, it's kind of got a positive tone around the program especially for the fan base, 
is that even the games they didn't win, they didn't get beat very bad. I mean, they, they obviously could not make some plays with some people they've got in critical roles right now, but that's going to be solved through the portal and through recruiting. And, and they're, not, they're not beating themselves except, they, you know, a couple of times playing some teams, you know, did turn the ball over at times when you just couldn't do it. But they had to try to force it to make plays. And uh, so I, I think it's been a decent season. It's not over. I mean, they could easily get upset out at Arkansas. But I think if they win these next three, uh, they're definitely in a bowl game and maybe a decent bowl game too. And I think that's a tremendous boost moving forward. What does it – how much does a uh, – couple things. Uh, how much does a, do the 15 bowl practices help? And how much does, uh, you know, getting to a bowl game – win seven or eight games. Certainly, when you, if, if you come in to beat Alabama in the last game, how does that affect recruiting? Oh, yeah. I don't know how much it affects this class. It was, it was amazing. We would, we would really not have much effect on our recruiting classes, but we were talking high school only. Our recruiting classes were not normally affected by the season that was presently going on. But that next class, it really did make a difference. You know, if you pulled off a big time win uh, or a championship or something like that, uh, and the reason for that is just the way the cycle works. I, I, I would bet 85, 90 percent of kids coming out of high school already know where they're going. Even the ones that hadn't called the shot yet publicly, they know where they want to go, and they know when they're going to do it, et cetera. And and if they've been two or three months committed to somebody, and they end up not playing well at the end they kind of almost feel like they're part of the team and they'll be more likely or just as likely to hang in there, you know, and sign with the team. But now it's different with the portal now. So, I, you know, there may be guys out there I hadn't – I never had to deal with the portal. So it may be some guys out there that are kind of waiting to see, are you really going to try to throw the ball? And do you need a quarterback because the one you got's limited? Or is this just your recruiting pitch, you know? So I would say that the season could have more effect on the portal guys, and that's just a guess. I don't think it affects your present recruiting class as much as people think it does. But to get in a decent bowl game after where they've been the last couple of three years, I think it does a lot for the fan base. And uh, you cannot overestimate or, you know, undervalue your fan base being positive. If, if they're not on the team with you, you can forget about a lot of in-state recruiting and some of the other things. Uh, they can kill it on social media and all the other things that go on today. You get an irate fan base, and they cause a lot of negativity for your whole program. So I think it's good for them, too. And uh, the, the extra practice days used to be more important back when you were developing players and bringing along a freshman and a sophomore, get a little extra time with them after you get through the game plan stay out there 45 minutes and have a little mini scrimmage, all different ways to improve your program. I don't know if that's that big a deal anymore with all these guys leaving in three years and opting out of old games. And then you got, you got some freshmen you want to develop, but you're probably going to go to the portal and get your four kids and put them in front of them. So that may be a little bit over, uh, overdone now. I don't know. Uh, it was very important back when, before we had the portal. Ellis, uh, Hugh, Hugh Freeze on Monday was, it was he's, he's been very transparent with the media um, ever since he started, and that's something we've really appreciated. 
Um, certainly a difference from the from the last head coach. But he sort of took the opportunity Monday. He said, well, you know, I've been so transparent with you guys. Can I be transparent about something else? And it was his frustration about um, Auburn's game plan in the fourth quarter. They're up by they're up by two scores. And I think some of the questions he was getting asked were what happened to the offense? You know, why did things kind of you know get some hiccups there in the fourth quarter? What he brought up was started every possession inside the, our own 15 yard line. Now you go three and out three straight times. That's obviously that's not good. You want to pick up some first downs. But he was essentially defending the fact that if you're aggressive there, if you have a turnover in your own, you know, in your own red zone, all of a sudden Mississippi State can get back in the game. Um, what is the balance? I know, I know, obviously you were a defensive coach, but um, you know the balance between whether it's on offense or defense in a critical part of a game down the stretch. Maybe you're up by a certain amount of points, and you're trying to decide. How much do we want to blitz? How much do we want to throw the ball? Kind of put yourselves out there as a put, you know, because you don't want to put on the brakes the entire game. You want to make sure you're still playing well. How difficult is that balance as a coach between well, aggression and, and conservatism? It becomes more important when you're in a close ball game, usually at low scoring, where down and distance and field position and ball possession, all those things start to become more important. You know, we've been through a period of 20 years, I'd say, maybe 25 or 30. Football's gotten spread out, more wideouts on the field, more DVs on the field on normal downs, more throwing the ball around. It has become a space game. Now, you're still going to get your rear end kicked if you can't play up front. But you don't have to dominate the line of scrimmage for 45 minutes of a 60-minute game uh, in a running game to win ball games nowadays. But if for some reason, I think it's the portal. Quarterbacks are getting spread out all over the place, and, and these guys are not sitting there waiting two years for their turn. And you're seeing a little bit less offensive production in some of these offenses now, and I think it's because of the portal. They're playing with guys that haven't been in the program for two or three years, and all, everybody's got a decent quarterback. Nobody seems to have one that's just a great quarterback. But all that being said, those three series that he's talking about, they ended with a kick. And when you're in a close ball game and you're not scoring a lot of points either team, and you know who you are, you are a low-scoring team and you are a pretty good defensive team, and turns out that's what the other team is too. The main thing, those drives that start inside your, what you said, inside the 15 or whatever, he had terrible field position. He's got a lead in the ball game. And the most important thing with those three drives is they end in a kick, a punt, or a field goal or an extra point. You take that all day long. They didn't turn the ball over down there. They had zero turnovers the whole game. So I don't know why he said he's got to be transparent. It may be that he needs to tell whoever's sitting in that room, I know y'all are a bunch of dumbasses, but let me explain something to you. We're not going to throw the ball every day on I mean, but I think he's, he's kind of crafty with the way he handles the media. Uh, he wasn't being transparent there. He was he was trying to lead in with something to make sure if they knew he wasn't calling them a dumbass up front. <laughs> <laughs> with that quarterback, your offense, the way it's been that whole year, as good as your defense is, and you're leading the ball game, and you go back there throwing it around and turn the ball over, that's when you better be transparent. Now I'm the dumbass. <laughs> Do you remember the interception game? That, Wait, what was that? The, the Curly Holman, um, when he kept calling oh. passes. 
It was it well. Was, he he didn't keep calling them. Well, the offensive coordinator did. It was what ninety six? Was that the? Was that was no? It was ninety ninety uh, ninety four. Ninety four. It was a ninety four. Gosh, yeah. Because I had been with him at Southern Miss. It happened at LSU, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I'm not going to say who was coordinator, but they had a bad falling out over it. And the guy had worked with him for many years on Texas A&M. They were good friends. I think it was Amity. Anyhow, you know, he, he kept going down there. Don't throw the ball. <laughs> about three plays later, he'd throw a pass. And I did not see the game, but I listened to it. I think I can't remember, but I, I, I'd heard most of the end of it. I think, what in the crap is going on? Because I'd worked for him. I knew that wasn't Curry. <laughs> He might have been costing his job. I don't know. I was I was at the game. We were actually leaving. I remember walking out of the stadium. I I, I went with my uh, my chemistry teacher had season tickets and he couldn't uh, Mr. Land and he couldn't get anybody to go with him. So he invited me. So we'd go to the games and and it was you know we thought it was over. We were we were getting ready to walk out of the stadium. The next thing you know, you know it it well it was. I mean it had the ball game and it wasn't unlike this game we're just talking about. But they were even winning better and more conventionally. Mm-hmm. And I think Curly had a pretty good team that year. He didn't finish well, and I think it eventually cost the job. I really did. Well, speaking that's of great, Curly, that's a great one to bring up because I mean that's as good a job, that's as good an explanation and anal- comparison analogy as to why you don't do that in that situation. And Auburn didn't, and they won a ball game. Well, there was also a, a key. There was a key point in the game that I think needed to be brought up when people were talking about the end of the game was. Auburn gets a stop on fourth and one right before halftime. They get the ball back. They go down the field. They go up 24 to three. If they don't get that stop and Mississippi State scores, it would be it'd be 17 to 10 at halftime. All of a sudden, you're up by only a touchdown. You're not up by three scores. Then Freeze would have been more aggressive. Then it's a closer game. He would have been fine airing it out. The thing was, you're up by three. So it's, if, if, if the game had flowed a certain way, you, you can obviously change up your play call. It's not like they weren't confident in Thorne. I mean, Thorne was five of six passing in the second half. It's it's not like they weren't confident in what he was able to do. They just obviously decided to. But I think you know the Ronnie, you know more about the about the tubber shell. That was some that was a term I had not heard until this weekend, and some people were trying to people were trying to compare it to the tubber shell a little bit. I'm like, hey man, you won the game. Well, guys, guys there's some some teams out now that are pretty good teams, and they've got multiple losses. And in my opinion, one big aspect is they're separated. And it's not a divisive separation. It's just you hire these guys and give, give them all this money. You put them in charge of the one side of the ball or the other. The next thing you know, they're playing offense and they're playing defense, and you ain't got any defense. I mean, they're making calls in situations that have no consideration for what the score is, where the ball is on the field, how well is the other top side playing, and and, a, and the head coach sometimes is coaching on one side or the other, and he's tied up making a correction or he's talking to somebody something, and maybe he's trying to get a timeout called. It could be doing anything, but it's just like they don't understand it's a team game. And you don't have to be totally – I mean, you got to have some kind of, you know, freedom to call what you need to call and set things up and rhythm and setting plays up and so forth. But I mean, there's a lot of guys now. They're making decides, uh, decisions on play calling, and it's costing ball games. And uh, now look at Clemson; they got a top ten defense in America, and they're playing in the ACC, which has one legitimate playoff team this year. And they've lost four games. 
And every one of them is on turnovers. They lead the nation on fumbles lost. You know, and, and I'm not saying that fumbles are lost because of what you call. But sometimes the play calling has a lot to do with it. So we beat that one to death. But, I mean, I think the way he managed the game the other day in the second half, I think he knew, you know, we, we're not quite what we need to be on offense yet, and we don't need to be trying to score 40 points and impress everybody. We need to get a win. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. How much do you, you mentioned play calling? How much does, um, you know, analytics obviously plays a lot into play calling for some guys like Lane Kiffin. Explain how, explain your thoughts on that. I mean, you know, personally, I think you kind of have to go with the flow of the game and not necessarily go with analytics every time. But uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think if you do, if you study all those things, just like I, I, the thing I've got about explosive plays, that is a form of analytics. If you go back and check it, if a team starts with normal field position and they don't make one single explosive play, it's 90% of the time they don't get any points. They end up punting the ball or turning it over. So it's just common sense. You know, they got to execute more if they don't get a long play. And, you know, we used to always say, well, they only had those two bad play, those two big plays. The rest of the time we stopped them. Well, those two big plays scored touchdowns and they did count. So explosive plays are very critical in the game today. And I think you can go back and study everything. When you go for fourth down and dislocation and you don't make it, what, what are the results? I mean, you put a GA on that for a few days, you'd find out a lot of stuff. So I don't know that Lane's decisions and some of these other guys, when they go for fourth down in certain locations or they get the exact distance they need to get it, you know, it's probably statistically they've proven out. And the reason I think those things are good, I don't think they're 100% right, but when you get in those situations, you're naturally competitive or you wouldn't even be in the damn job you're in. You're naturally competitive. You're confident. You've been practicing all week. You know what you want to do. And you need that information in your head right then. You don't need to be going back and forth. Should I do it? Should I not do it? You already have studied it enough that you say, hey, in this situation, we don't need to be going forth down. 
or in this situation or in this situation. So you got to do a lot of study on it. And it comes into field position. Uh, you know, what's the exact distance? What happens when you punt? Is it going to roll in the end zone almost 100% unless you got some mag magician back there punting? You know, sometimes you gain eight yards on a punt when you don't go for it out there at midfield. So I don't think it's always as much bravado as it is analytics. And I think that's one of these words everybody likes to overuse now. But you go back and study the situations and you study enough ball games and situations and get your statistics and just make sure that you have them in hand before you get in that situation. You know, it used to be a lot of, a lot of coaches made bad decisions about whether to go for two or not. And that, that decision has been around for a hundred years. You need to have studied it and studied it and know what you want to do before what happens to you in a ball game. You'll make an emotional decision and sometimes it'll be the wrong one. What, what are your feelings on, on two point plays? I mean, do you, you know, we had a chart and, you know, I work for guys who would always follow the chart. You know, if you're down by, if you're down by eight and you go for two, you know, it, some guys feel like, you know, you, you play through the game and, you know, then you get late in the fourth quarter and then you make those decisions. Yeah. I, I think you can do it too early in the game. And I'm sure most everybody has three, maybe five different plays they would use down there if it ever happens. Uh, I don't understand showing one of your best two point plays in the second quarter when you, you know, when you go up by a certain number of points. Uh, I always felt like, and I never had to make this decision very often. Being on defense, I had to be ready for somebody else to make it. And so you do study them a little bit and, and kind of have an idea what you think they're going to do. But we always had our defense called, and then if they send the kicker out, you, know, you can always get them off. So anyhow, uh, I think that. When you're ahead, I don't know if this is critical early on. When you're behind, it might be. Because when you, when you, if you make it and you put yourself within a score of another team, sometimes it affects them a little bit. You know, they'll try to score again or they'll take chances when they didn't want to. So maybe it'd be a little bit more important when you're gaining points to catch up instead of already being ahead. But I, I, I really think more when it gets towards the end of the game, and, and you can tell kind of like they weren't expecting to score a touchdown. Maybe they hit it from 38 yards out. And there's confusion over there or indecision, and it shouldn't be. I mean, they need to be ready to go to decision. I mean, it should have been made three minutes earlier. You know, we, we used to talk about it before the series started. Guys, they're up by so-and-so. If they score now, they're probably going to want to go for two. And I would hope and think the offense is doing the same thing. Hell, you can score on any play. So you had to, you need to have that point differential already figured out ahead of time, because I mean anybody who takes a touchdown, they don't if it's a sixty yarder or a six yarder, you ain't gonna try not to score. So if there's a possibility you're gonna score, you need to know what you're gonna do when you when you score. You don't need to be using burning timeouts and stuff. Well, speaking of, uh, you were talking about earlier, you know, not Auburn not trying to give away a turnover at a crucial spot of the game. On the flip side, Auburn's defense has taken a massive step forward this year in generating turnovers. Um, Ronnie, I don't know if you've seen this stat. Uh, they finished dead last in the SEC in forced turnovers, and uh, they're number one right now. So, I mean, a complete 180 under Ron Roberts as the coordinator. Um, you know, there have been a lot of guys making plays. Jalen Simpson is a midseason All-American 
at safety. You know, we talked, we've talked before about the emergence of some guys on that defense that maybe were a bit unexpected, but it's been a really good unit this year. Ellis, when, when we talk to players, they, they use the words emphasize. They say, you know, turnovers are something you can practice. They say it's something you can work on in practice. From a defensive coach, how do you do that? How do you go to practice every day and emphasize turnovers? Because that's what they said. They said, you know, we have drills, we have charts, we have things that we look at to try to make sure that we're in position to force turnovers during a game. How do you do that from a coach's perspective? Right. Now, I'm sure he's not the only defensive coordinator doing it, but some lip service and some work at it. And not, not not always is it, you know, the production you hope you're getting from it, but you can see evidence of it on the field. Uh, even if the kid doesn't get the turnover, you see him do something trying to cause the turnover in a situation that you told him two weeks ago on film, you had a chance right there to strip the ball, or you had you should have hit the hit the guy here because somebody's already got him in in the wraps or whatever. You're just constantly you're correcting it when it had a chance to happen and it didn't happen, whether it's on film or in practice. And then you have those drills, you know. I think the drills are important. And if, if not more than anything, it's pounded it in their head. Because, I mean, when the kid's out there playing in the middle of the third quarter, between each play, he's not going over a checklist of things he's going to try to do that way. And one of them being, I'm going to cause a turnover. I mean, it's when it happens. And boom, you're in that situation, and it's just got to be an instant reaction. But you should have tried to run your hand through on the backside and punch it, or you should have raked it from behind or whatever, you know. And so, in probably, I don't, how many have they called? Maybe 10? Is it 10? How many, how many have they called? Because I knew they had called. They, have, they are one above where they were last year. They have 14 on the year right now, and they finished last year with 13. Right, so 14, okay. How many plays have they been on defense? My point being, you work and work and work and work at it, and it maybe happens once a game or three times a game, but every one of them is usually a backbreaker for another team. I mean, it's it's a drastic thing when you turn the football over. So my point is, a lot of people talk about it, and they don't put a little time in it. And, and they look at the stats and they say, well, they caused 14 and we caused nine. Well, I'll take plus five any day. And I know one of those analytics we've been talking about, if you're plus two on turnovers, I think your, your win percentage goes up into the eight, high 80s. Even with this fast-paced football we play today, if you're plus two in turnovers, you go back to all the statistics of all the teams through all the games. And you put yourself in an eighty-something percent chance, of probably winning the game. How do you feel about uh, you know trick plays? I was just sitting here thinking, you know, there was a lot of Gus did a lot of that. I think Freeze probably has a little bit of that. You know, when I worked with Fedora, he had this VHS tape, and he probably had hour and a half, two hours worth of trick plays on it. And every time he yeah. would, he would see one, he'd cut it out, and we'd add it to his tape. I think that's a good thing because. In all season, you know, probably ought to let the kids look at it at least twice. They may recognize something that doesn't happen until the eighth game of the next year. But if it happens, at least it's something they say, well, this looks like whatever. I, you know, I think there's a difference in a trick play and a deceptive play. And for Coach Malzahn, I mean, I'd say if he had 20 of them, I'd say only two or three of them were what I would call trick plays. The rest of them were deceptive plays. I mean, they were well executed. 
little unusual formation or some kind of crazy, you know, huddle break or something. But the play itself was a pretty normal play that you see all the time in football. One of his reverses was a very normal play that people ran, but he would come out of the huddle and hit a formation and everything and sometimes get a person out of position from just alignment. And the thing had a better chance of working. And then he liked to do it on extra points too. And and I and that's just he was just kind of messing with people most of the time. But you'll find out if people are going to respect you when you spread out. And if they don't, because you come back over there 30 times in a row, you just toss it out there. But we worked it every day when we did live PAT field goal with each other. He always worked on that. So when it was done in a game, it really wasn't as much of a trick play as a deceptive play. And I, and I think those are important. I think, it, you know, I think sometimes if you, if you can do that, it, it causes teams to work on and you don't even run them. But I had to work on it, and that takes practice time. We used to, uh, you know, we, we, we would line up in a funky uh, extra point formation every, when we were in Florida uh, every time. And sometimes we would, you know, it might be the first quarter, might be the second quarter, and we would, we'd line up and not kick it and go for two. And more times than not, we would not make it rather than make it. And, um, and a lot of times it caused a, you know, it caused a problem in the game. It flipped momentum. Yeah. And I, I, I don't mind it. I, we always worked against it, so we weren't ever worried about it. But it doesn't take one knucklehead you got out there. And whether maybe you got his bell rung three plays early, or he's, he's the backup nickel, and he doesn't go out there and line up where you told him to. And they get points out of it. So I don't see anything wrong at all. Now, the, the flip side of that is a lot of kickers and holders will tell you that they don't like all that stuff going on. They they just want to they want to do their job and get the ball through the uprights. That's why you don't see people doing it much on field goals. They do it only on extra points. Because then it's not as big a distraction to the field goal kicker, you know, even long snapper. They got a they got a critical job right there. This field goal may win or lose the ball game. It's from eight, you know, 38, 43. You're getting out there where it's got to be perfect execution to get it. Don't mess with them with something going on before the snap of the ball. Ellis, last one, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get wrapped up here. Auburn travels to what is on paper and what has looked like the worst team in the SEC this season in Vanderbilt. But like you said, it's never easy. These next two games are, are against the two worst teams in the league, teams that don't have a win. It's never easy to go on the road in the SEC. What does a team have to do to keep that confidence going and sort of keep that mindset and block out the fact that Everyone is saying Vandy's not very good. Vandy's on a seven-game losing streak. Their stadium, I don't know if y'all saw this, their stadium is the smallest one because of construction. It's the smallest stadium Auburn's going to have played in since 1958 because they have no end zone seating because of the construction. And so players were even talking about that this week. They're like, look, we got to bring our own energy because there's just not going to be that many people at that football game. Um, You know, just what do you have to do as a team to remain focused in a – in a situation like that and try to carry over what you did against Mississippi state. Well, most of the time when players say things, they're just, they're repeating what they've been told in a meeting. So the coaches are obviously alerting them to it, tell them about it, et cetera. And, and it can be an effect. And, and the lesser experienced team, uh, the more it bothers them. And so if you got good older players and, and I'd say this time of the season, those kind of things shouldn't be as big a deal as it 
would in the first two, three games. Everybody that's played on their team now to me is an experienced SEC player. I don't care if they're a freshman. If they've played in every game so far, I mean, they're in the eighth, seven, eighth game of the SEC, they're not a freshman. So that's the, that's the first thing. The other thing is just don't be trying to change things all the time. Be demanding in practice. Have a really good practice. There's no question. It's just human nature. If they were getting ready for Alabama, their kids would be tuned in on Tuesday better than they're going to be tuned in against Vanderbilt. So that's what they're paying them big salaries for is, you know, get on their ass and get them coached up and make sure they're prepared and go play. Not much else you can do other than prepare. I know one year when I was at Clemson, you know, we played Duke, excuse me, we played Georgia at home and it was a we wore throwback uniforms. It was like something celebration of so many years of football at Clemson. And there were about 80-something thousand. Uh, it, that's all at hell, whatever it held back then. And we, you know, big time game, night game. And the next week, we had to go play at Duke. And we were warming up. There were about 10,000 people in the stands. And by the time the game started, it was up to a, a capacity of about 30,000. <laughs> and I think I think 15,000 of them over on the visitor side in orange. But our kids, I kind of saw them looking around their warm-ups. And I, I knew right then, I said, this is distracting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was that particular game. We lost it on a block punt late in the game. But uh, it, it affected them kind of before the game, during warm-ups. I think once the game got going, you know, they were playing football. It'd be like having a nasty Saturday scrimmage at home. but. It, it did bother. So it's it's kind of a funny atmosphere. And Vandy's had a terrible season. But when I watch them play, they're fundamentally sound. They're well coached. They don't play. They don't take plays off. They play as hard as they can play. They don't have the kids out on that field right now. Not even as close to what I've seen them have before when we played them. And uh, you know, I, we lost to Vandy one time when I was in Mississippi State. We lost to them one time when I was in South Carolina. And they had better football players than they do right now. So I think he's a heck of a coach. I know this is alma mater. They're not a real good football team because they don't have very good football players. But Auburn's not not what you you know. They're not the Auburn they were 15 years ago either. But they're a lot better than Vanderbilt. They just need to go up there and don't don't beat yourself and play hard and they'll be fine. Yeah, it's like Freeze was saying on Monday. That's a scary place he thinks because and you look at the last time he coached there. They lost when he was when he was at Ole Miss in 2016, and before that he was coaching against James Franklin every time because you know, Ole Miss and Vandy, you know, they play they play every year. So he was coaching against against the best coach Vandy's had in like 30 years, and so uh, that place has not necessarily been kind to him. And so, you know, Auburn fans yeah. are obviously hoping he's going to have them have their attention ready for this one, even though Vandy record wise has not been very good. We see. played against an NFL quarterback when I was at State in South Carolina, and. uh uh, Jay you know, they, they had some, huh? Jay Cutler, right? Cutler, and I mean he was a good player, man. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they had some others mixed in that lineup too, and they were physical. Bobby Johnson, and I, I'm partial to Bobby, so I'll say he was better than James Franklin. <laughs> but that's my personal opinion. But uh, they're not that good right now, and I don't know why. I mean, but guys, they they the last week they played halfway decent on defense this year, and. Uh, offensively, they just cannot produce. I mean, the Ole Miss has not been good on defense this year. And I mean, the stats that Vandy had against Ole Miss on 
Sandy's offense was just terrible. And and I don't see anything changing that. I think Auburn's got a better defense than Ole Miss. Uh, maybe not team speed, but I think they're a better overall defense. So they'll be fine. And I mean, they just got to, they wouldn't be talking about it if they weren't concerned about it. But I did see some of that construction the other day on a, a highlight or something. I thought, what in the world are they doing? And uh, they're just trying to enlarge or something. But it will be a little distracting, but I just don't see that being a difference in the game. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the long-term renovations there seem impressive, kind of their plans they have. But for right now, it's like, yeah, the scoreboard is held up by a crane. That it, was the first thing I noticed. Yeah. It's just a tarp with, uh, with I guess, a projection on it, or I guess it's it's got a screen. And then the visitor's locker room is just a tent. It's just a really big tent. And it takes you through. better than the locker room that, that they used to have across the street. So, yeah. Really. Uh, better than the one they had in the end zone that I remember. <laughs> We used to have to go across the street and dress and then walk back over, if I remember right. Well, you probably dressed in a better dressing room. It, that, that dressing room I, we used when I was up there looked like my Winsboro High School PE gym. Yep. It was pitiful. Well, I wonder if it's still the same distance, Ronnie, because I was talking to somebody on Monday that said it's a four-minute walk from the, lock, from the locker room to the field. So Yeah, it was – <laughs> it, it, I, it's it's been a while <clears throat> excuse me it's been a while since i've been up there but i don't remember it being a uh i mean i remember walking across the street going to the stadium so i, I it's it was not a nice locker room yeah they joke now the, the end zone construction is it, isn't it down there the parking deck in not the they've got they've the, got it on both ends oh right okay now. well i didn't notice that so they have to have a dressing room outside somewhere yeah, it's like I'm not sure if one end is more construction than the other, but there's no seating in either end zone. Like there's no, they're not selling seats. Well, the, they're only doing the, the home locker room and the visitor locker room. They've been torn out, obviously. If yeah. they're if they're taking those end zone things out, because that's where they were. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll let y'all know. I'll let y'all know next week what it what it looks like. It'll be <laughs> it'll be an interesting one. But uh, well, thank y'all. Make sure okay. make sure you wear your hard hat. I was so somebody somebody told my buddy, you know, that he's going to wear a hard hat to the game. And uh, I said, that's that's guaranteed TV time. Like You're absolutely going to get an ESPN camera on you in the stands. If you're an Auburn fan, you have a hard hat on. But uh, anyway, guys, uh, good show today. LSV, appreciate you as always hopping on for Coach's Corner. If you guys enjoyed it, five star review. No more thing that helps us. We'll catch you guys later until the next episode. Everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Talk to you soon. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.